Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host with the most, as always, Adela Marcy. And again, we're wrapping up our fifth season of this show with one of my very good friends, someone that I've actually had the honor to share a ride with, and that's actually how we bonded uh, as friends, the one and only Al Tepper. Al, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks very much. It is great to be here. Man, it was so cool, like, because uh, we had met very briefly, if I remember correctly, at Expert Empires, very briefly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then we met again because of David Walsh. And then we met, and then we added, I think you <laughs> added me on Facebook, we became friends. And then we were at uh, ECA together, like the first train with Matt, which was amazing. Yeah, it's uh, serendipity at its best. Pretty much. You know. and, and then, of course, the trains decided to cancel uh on that day and you were kind enough to actually be like yep i'll i'm going back to london i'll drop you off in my neighborhood and you can make your way home from there which was amazing for me uh yeah that was a fun trip it was crazy how that happened so guys just to give you guys a quick heads up now the thing i love about al is it's re- the way i can describe what he does i'm gonna get him to describe it himself in a moment is he's this dude is like a master of like networking and putting people together but also being very good disruptively marketing other things. So like some people go, oh, he's just a power networker. No, he's that and so much more. He also has like a great business mastermind. The dude knows what he's doing, running his own company and how he's doing it. And he knows exactly how to bring in great marketing into any business he practically walks into. And I got that literally with a drive with him. We were literally driving back for an hour and a half, two hours, uh, literally talking about everything, life, business, whatever it is. And I was like, I've got to get him on the show. Uh, which is why we're here. So real quick before we jump into your story, Al, I just want to do a quick little shout out to our sponsors for this episode, which are again, uh, you can go to Tepfu, that's T-E-P-F-U.com. Think Shackfu, but Tep as in Tepa, uh, Tepfu.com, where you can actually figure out some more stuff about um, Al, what he does, and why you don't want to be the world, the best, the world's best kept secret in what you do and how to get out there, get more results, do less work, and essentially solve that problem of not really knowing where your next paycheck's going to come from. This guy's an absolute master at this kind of thing. We're also sponsored by StorySellingBlueprint.com. Go there, pick up one of my free guides that we have going out for you right now, exactly on how to find your core story and start beginning your journey of how to put it out there. You get the two together, you're basically making a great meal, and your business is going to take off in 2020 which is insane. So with that being said, Al, please enlighten us with more of the insanely cool shit that you do because it is so <laughs> insane and so cool. I don't think I can do it justice. Well, that's, that's really kind. I never see it that way. And, you know, um, I think that's probably the key to what I do actually, because most of us never see what we do as exceptional because we're in the middle of it, right? And it's only everybody else that looks at us and judges us and assesses us in a different way. And I think at the core of how I think about marketing, uh, I think that's kind of central because what we what we find boring and mundane, actually, uh, history and evidence shows us that everybody else finds really interesting. So um, what I do really fundamentally is help people figure out what they're boring at. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. uh, and generally, what they're boring at is really magical to everybody else. So if you're a plumber, um, the knowledge you have about different tools may be really boring to you, but to your audience, to your market, um, 
you know, it's fascinating. And um, as the Clue Train Manifesto predicted or, or speculated uh, in 1999, right at the beginning of the birth of what we now know is the World Wide Web, uh, whilst the web had been invented before that, from a commercial perspective, uh, the Clue Train Manifesto predicted 95 theses about what was going to happen thanks to the internet in relation to business. And the first thesis was markets are conversations. So if markets are conversations and you're a plumber, then in order for you to be in the middle of the conversation, part of that is demonstrating how well you know your universe and how well you know my universe as a customer or a prospective customer. So demonstrating to me that you know all the really boring stuff about this different tool, this different pipe, what this does, what that does, really endears me to you because I really want a plumber who knows what he's doing. And then if you can demonstrate that you know about my universe, my outcomes, my desires as a as a client, you know, I'm not calling you to fix a toilet. I'm calling you because at three o'clock in the morning when I go to use that washroom, I really want it to work. So if you can demonstrate an understanding of of what that's about, you know, that really speaks to me. Um, and so I guess, yeah, I'm I'm uh, addicted to helping people figure out what they're boring at and then infuse that into their marketing. <laughs> that is awesome. See, I love that. And what I find interesting about that and a whole slew of questions just opened up mentally for me is a lot of people uh, that are boring at what they're doing. I feel they fall into two camps in particular. I don't like using the two camps analogy because there's multiple. Sure. I like using five camps because there's always five variations of everything. Sure. Um, no one ever like wants to go down the path of what if you die? No one ever wants to go down that path of the like, yeah. what's option five? You died. You died <laughs> in pursuit. No one wants to go down there. And I'm the idiot that's like, well, you can either get this thing done, you can either not do this thing, you can either refund a client, you can ask for an extension, or you could die. And everyone's yeah. like, why is that one on your list? I'm like, because it's always a possibility. No one wants to acknowledge it, but it's that. Um, but kind of digressing slightly, one of the questions I do have for you is the two camps that people fall into is <clears throat> they either really, they know what they're, what they're boring slash good at and have no clue how to put it out there. Or yeah. they're oblivious to what they're good, what they're good at, yeah, and still don't know how to put it out there. So my question really is: is if you're in the first camp, which is you know what you're good at, but you don't really know how to put it out there, what would you say would be some of the be- What would be the best piece of advice you can give them in order to start putting themselves out there? Okay, that's a great question. Thanks, I appreciate that. Um, so uh, I've been watching a lot of Brené Brown recently. And I have to name check my wife for that because uh, she's more than my wife. She's my life partner. She's traveling with me as we fling ourselves around the sun, right? And um, she's got into Brené Brown. And I'm grown up enough to pay attention. She's a healer. So I listen to what she has to say. And as a result, I'm now listening to a lot of what Brené Brown has to say. And the reality is, is that um, if you if you don't know how to communicate you're probably starting off with a mindset of trying to communicate from your perspective. And I think that what Brene Brown talks a lot about around vulnerability, shame, and, and, you know, daring greatly, as she puts it, is I think you have to stop uh, living only behind your own eyes. So the best advice to somebody who knows what they're boring at, but doesn't know how to communicate it is uh, told through uh, a fantastic 
like two minute clip I saw from Brene Brown recently, and it's about the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy and empathy are vastly, vastly different. And one of them is actually negative and harmful. And one of them is positive and constructive um, and, and helps and helpful. Uh, sympathy and empathy. I want you to imagine, and this is the video, I want you to imagine uh, you, you, you see a well. You see a well opening in the ground ahead of you. And you hear a voice calling from the well, help, I'm stuck. Sympathy sticks his head over the well and says, oh, that looks terrible. Oh, that must be re that really sucks. Must be really bad down there. It's really not helpful. You're just telling me what I already know. I'm stuck down a well, and you're telling me, oh, you're stuck down a well. It really doesn't advance my ability to get out of the well or feel better about being down the well. Empathy, you climb in the well and sit with me, and we don't solve the problem, but you just, you just as, as Brene Brown says, hold space with me, right? Yeah. So if you, if you know what your message is, stop telling people what the problem is. Ah, you've got a crappy shower. You need a new plumber. That's really not helping me. What you need to do is you need to get into the shower with me when it's cold at 6.30 in the morning and I need a warm shower. And you need to be there with me and understand what that feels like. You need to empathize with me and, and literally live through that. Because if you can explain to me that you understand how totally crap it is to get in a shower in the morning at 6.30 or 4.30, whatever time you get up, and only have cold water, if you can communicate to me about that, I'm going to call you to come and fix my shower anyway. So I recently gave that advice uh, to a, a plumber that I know, I said to them, uh, stop talking about plumbing and start talking about singing in the shower. Because first of all, singing in the shower is a fantastic indication of people who've got a nice shower. Ask people, what did you sing in the shower today? And if they say to you, oh, I sang uh, It's Raining Men. Fantastic. What a great song. Let's talk about that. But if I say, oh, I didn't sing in the shower, it's probably because my shower's crap and it only has cold water and I need fixing. And at that point, I'm going to say, well, actually, I don't sing the shower. I just get in, get out. It's not very, you know, it's a bit of an experience. Oh, no, why is that? Well, actually, there's a problem with the hot water. Oh, is there? By the way, I'm a plumber. You know, so yeah. I think the biggest thing people can do is think about the difference between sympathy and empathy. That's that the best way to communicate. That is fucking amazing, and I love that. <laughs> well, I all credit to Brene Brown. I'm literally oh, just paying, I'm just paying attention to what other people say, right? So, you know, I can't say I made it up, but. True, uh, but, but it, then again, you did it's... actually, but you did go ahead and share it, and that has merit in its own right. Um, <laughs> I think so. But, but yeah. I will say, I love Brene's work. I'm just so into what she's doing. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I think she's some... actually. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, her Netflix special is amazing, but you were going to say you yeah. think that she's. I think she's the most important thinker of the 21st century, hands down, because the next frontier of humanity, never mind artificial intelligence, never mind landing people on Mars, I don't care about, and even quantum computing, I don't care about all of that. We have to master ourselves, and she is absolutely the next evolutionary step in mastering our own minds, and that has got to, that's got to be the most powerful, uh, infinitely resounding thing humanity can undertake as a project to really know ourselves so i'm i'm absolutely in love with Brene brown i think she's just an incredible human um and brought along at just the right time i would agree i'd say something i'd really wish i could see if i could put a petition by the way to my fans please go ahead and petition the shit out of this <laughs> i would love Brene brown to end up on joe rogan's podcast yeah yeah because i could imagine because a lot of people have a misconception about Rogan because he actually interviews both cons he, he interviews everyone on every political yeah, yeah. landscape and he's educated enough to know what it is. 
yeah. what's going on. And he knows his own opinions, uh, which is brilliant. But I know he would actually give Brene one of the best interviews she's ever had. Oh, it would be amazing. Because oh, he's because I you know he's read her work, you know he's seen her stuff because he's quoted yeah. it before. So yeah, if yeah, we can start a petition and just tweet those two constantly <laughs> for about thirty days, I'll be happy. Um, and even <laughs> if you want to like tag her this on my show, please feel free to. Uh, but amazing, what I was going to while we're in the midst of this, uh, unfortunately, as everyone knows, I tend to record my shows ahead of time. Um, one of the big things that unfortunately has had kind of happened this week in august is uh we had the passing of a titan yes Um, unfortunately the one and only legend himself dan kennedy uh Mm. passed away and um obviously i'm going to be speaking about that a little bit more as well uh, at a different date but right now particularly i was going to say the reason why he comes into play is because what you described of putting yourself out there and empathizing with someone um that is like the key fundamentals to attraction marketing yeah, is like allowing others to uh, know that you've actually experienced that problem. One of the best quotes I've ever heard, it's not a Dan Kennedy quote, it's someone else. Uh, one of the things they actually said was, when you can explain someone else's problem to them better than they can explain it to yeah. you, they yeah, will absolutely. fall in love with you because absolutely. it means that you understand. And that's all people really want. That's uh, All people really want is to be understood fundamentally. Um and selling is the opposite of that. Yeah. You know, selling is the opposite of understanding. Most of the time, selling is not a, most of the way most people sell. I mean, Matt Elwell aside, who comes at it from a completely different and correct angle, as you and I both know. Yeah. But m- most selling is, is talking, not listening. So how can you possibly communicate you understand? You know? Exactly. Well, it's not even talking and listening. It's talking and hearing. Yeah. Yeah, like, you're listening right. would mean to sit down and actually get the damn point, but they're just hearing. It's like words in and words out. They're just waiting for that yeah. phrase to be said. But speaking yeah. of going back to the shower thing, I just remembered. I would be surprised. Like I, I think this guy, if your if your plumber person ever met me, he'd think I was a psychopath. Because he'd be like, hey, <laughs> "What are you singing in the shower? Like, what are you singing in the shower?" It's like I have no clue. There's no problems with my water. I just take silent showers. Like why? Because I have like thought well, time in there. Yeah, and, and that's okay too. Not everyone sings in the shower. But, it, you know, the thing is, if the plumber said to you, so what do you sing in the shower? And you said, well, you know what? Actually, I don't sing. I just luxuriate in the stillness and the quiet, and I, I let myself go into my – that's still the start of a great conversation. Oh, it is entirely. I mean, and, if you're and, like, I don't know, sing anything in the shower, it's like, oh, how, what do you do in the shower? I was like, oh, you know, just sit there and enjoy the warmth of everything and how it is. Like, yeah. Oh, okay, whole conversation opener right there. Absolutely. Um, Kind of piggybacking off that thread, though, one of the things that I will I will want to ask you, and I am going to ask you right now, um, is particularly when it comes down to how we have well the in the sorry the invention of the internet changed the way that we market to ourselves because we are yeah. global now as like our presence is a global thing. Yeah. What would you say today if someone literally like, let, let's take your kid for for instance let's say you, let's take your kid um they're they're eighteen years old. And they're like, mm. Dad, I want to go into marketing. I, I, w- I want to put myself out there, things that I love. What platform, if he was 18 years old today, what platform would you tell him, start on this platform and build? What would it be? When you say platform, do you mean social platform? Yeah. Like, would you go with, or would you go old school and be like, start doing seminars and t- talking to people? Or would you say, 
go go on uh, YouTube and put this thing out there. Okay, so I've got two answers to this. The first is me genuinely advising based on me. And my advice would be, uh, uh, and I'm sure Dave Walsh would agree, that the future is, is visual. So uh, whatever it is you do, it needs to be in a visual format. I know there's kind of an irony that we're having an audio podcast, yep. but the reality is in 10 years' time, I don't think there'll be much audio. I don't even think there'll be much text. I think it'll all be audio. It'll all be visual and uh, and vocal at the very least uh, on an audio level, but but mostly will be converted to audio uh, to visual. So the first answer is whatever it is you do, get into video. I think there's no question. I've got more into video um, and it's powerful stuff. But of course, because people buy from people. So by seeing me, people can assess me in a myriad of other ways that they can't do off a page or an audio. Um, and the second answer I'd give actually is, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, don't, don't listen to whatever answer I give you because ultimately you have to know yourself. Yep. So what, what's the best platform for you? You have to decide that. So if you can't decide that, then start using them and test and play and figure out which one speaks for you and to you the best. Ultimately, you know, some people are very, uh, much more aligned to a maximum of 280 characters. So use Twitter. Some people really love the fun of snap. So you snap. Some people prefer Pinterest, Facebook, whatever. There's so many different places for people to inhabit online. The great thing about the ecosystem that is the web today is that actually there really is a home for everyone. You know, when I first started on, on the net in 94, uh, there are only, I, I was using a Linux computer and there was a green screen uh, and it was a text-based experience. So my first experience of the internet and connectivity with other humans electronically around the world was mailing lists and, you know, muds and mushes. So uh, multiple user spaces where, Games could be played, discussions could be had. Um, so at that time, that was really cool, and that really fit. Now, I think it's a personality thing. I think you need to figure it out for yourself, but the most important thing is you start figuring it out. Don't wait, and don't get frustrated because it doesn't give you a return in whatever way you think you deserve a return. Use it for the sake of communicating, not for the response, but for the sake of communicating. When you find your, your space, the, re the return, the, re the response will come. The conversation will reply. You know, the echo will be there. And, and then you'll know that's where your home is and where it needs to be online. That's what I would say. That is an excellent answer, and I love it. And I will actually go take that one step further and say, so what I'll dispute is that the future is visual, but mm. definitely don't neglect the audio. Yeah, I know. Yeah, sure. If you have a beautiful looking masterpiece of a video and there is zero or shit audio, you yeah, will yeah, lose yeah. someone so quickly. So combine the two together. I mean, um, yeah, absolutely. In all fairness, I, I'm biased on this because I'm a writer, but like <laughs> the biasness is I'd say always learn how to write. And the reason I'd oh, say absolutely. like learning, just understanding the process, like a bare bones easy peasy bare bones process of knowing how to write influentially yep. that will master and leak into how you create your visual stories how you tell your audio stories how you basically combine it all together because remember yep. we're people we have multiple forms of how we read how we translate how we can uh, take in content so 
I'd say pick one of those mediums and really double down that feels comfortable, but don't fully neglect the others. Like if you had a hundred percent of focus and your entire perspective was, okay, I'm going to do video as my platform. Great. Focus 80% on video. Uh, sorry, I'd say focus 60% on video, uh, 30% on audio and 10% on, uh, writing on the written word. Yeah, I buy that. I mean, I think for me, video and audio are in, inseparable anyway. Yeah, you know, in that context. But, uh, but the other thing I was going to say is something interesting you said about writing. I think it goes even deeper than writing. In ninety-seven, ninety-eight, I did a master's degree at the University of Stirling. I did a master's degree in publishing studies, and part of the reading, the required reading for that course, was an amazing book. And I'd urge you all to check it out. It's it's not new now, and there may be a new version. It was by an author called Alberto Manguel, M-A-N-G-E-U-L. And he wrote a book called The History of Reading. And actually, what's more important than writing is reading, because reading is about uh, uh, symbolism. And in our language, we see symbols. We call them letters, and you know it's part of our alphabet. But it's about symbolism. And when we read, we're not just reading off a page. We're absorbing. We're reading all the time. We're reading televisions. We think we're watching televisions. We're not. We're reading the information from the television. We're reading all the time. And as Marshall McLuhan said, if the medium is the message, you know, the impact of reading is absolutely fundamental to human development. Even if we don't get to writing, we're still reading and learning to read. And we have been learning to read. For the history of time, whether it was cave paintings, whether it's Tim Berners-Lee and the World Wide Web, it's all reading. So I would also add that uh, I don't think humans can develop without reading, genuinely. No, I don't think we can either because it's one of our structural ways that we take in information. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's... And it's, it's part of its loss. You know, I don't think kids read as much, and that's fine in the, in the text sense. But I think, uh, you know, my own son's experience, when they get back to reading a bit, they realize the richness and the depth. And I think we have a lot. We've sacrificed or we've traded. We've traded something for something. And I think that depth and richness, A, makes us better writers. And B, then when we express ourselves in any other medium after that, whether it's video, whether it's short form, long form, written, spoken, whatever, that architecture underneath, you know, and Mitch Kapoor said architecture is politics. So that architecture underneath creates the activity that comes on top of it. So having great reading and writing, the ability to express oneself, you know, there's a, a site uh, called Masterclass and there's a, a Masterclass from, um, oh, damn, I've forgotten her name. Um, what she do? Uh, she's an author, Canadian, Margaret Atwood. Um, and she, she's got a masterclass on there and she talks about, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to be a better writer, write, (laughs) just write. And, and, and you know what? The waste paper basket is your friend. Throw everything away. It doesn't matter. Just write, just write and write and write and do more writing and write. And that's how you get better as a writer. You can't expect to sit down having never written and write a book. It's not going to happen. Oh, I mean, maybe. Maybe once in a blue moon, but, you know. Even so, those people, if you look at their trajectory, you got to look at their influence. It's kind of like, fair enough, I've never written a movie before, but I'm going to write a movie. That's fair. Or I've ne- I'm going to write a movie, I've never been to film school. Okay, yeah. but what were your influences? I watched hours upon hours of movies yeah. and broke yeah. them down. Yeah. Okay, so you've basically been studying your craft unconsciously for so long. Correct. 
yeah that's that's true my yeah exactly this is this is what it is and people don't people want the result right away but i'll tell you right now it does take time to come to but it's totally worth doing like uh speaking of our friend david walsh who has been on the show already uh by the time this comes out one of the things that he's releasing that, I'm, that this is a bit of a it won't be an exclusive now obviously because by the time the show comes out <laughs> we've already been done but for us uh listening live what it is is that David's actually going to be releasing a uh, template of how he edits videos. Amazing. It's it's one of the best things um, that I could ever have picked up from him yeah. as an idea and one of my, again, the, one of the reasons why he's one of my best friends. Um, yeah. So it's, 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 it's crazy. But anyway, back to what we were saying as far as it goes with like the medial, uh, like mastering this, what process have you started to really, uh, actually, that's a dumb question. I was going to ask you something. <laughs> and I was like, that's just, no, that's, that's a me question for you. <laughs> that's um, all right. One of the things I will ask you particularly when it comes down to actually figuring out what, who your audience is, everyone yeah. has their own formulate process or whatever it is. What would you say is your way of figuring out someone's market? Because if they're going to sit down and go, okay, this is who I want to work. Excuse me. I want to work with. Um, how, how do you actually figure out your marketplace? Like what formula do you put them through in order to figure out their marketplace for? Well, that's, a, that's actually a really great question. And actually, I don't think I've been asked that before. Uh, I normally get asked around, you know, brand and strategy and stuff like that. Um, that's a, that's an interesting one. And I, again, I think, I think there's different levels of business maturity that would give different processes to different people. So if you're a startup versus a mature five-year-old, 10-year-old business, if you're a five to 10-year-old business, I really think, well, I, I'm 99.9% sure you know who your target market is because I don't think you'd be in business after five years if you didn't know uh, a really good uh, summary of who the target is, even if you didn't have them crafted as perfect avatars in every way. I think if I said to you, who's your target? Who are you looking to meet? I think you'd know. For a startup, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, a lot of the time they have a they have a sense of who the market is, but they're not proven yet, so they don't really know. So I think the process that I take people who don't know who their market is, and and it's a different process to mature businesses, is generally around what what it is they're offering, um, who they think is going to need it and why, and then testing that with some data. Ultimately, you know, if you, um, uh, one of the businesses I was involved in a couple of years ago went through this process, there was the perception that the market was X and needed Y. So uh, a big pile of research was done. Uh, you know, if, you know, going to that target market, uh, if you could get this for free, would you use it? Because if people won't use it if it's free, uh, they won't use it if it's not free. The reality is, you know, free is the ultimate leveler. If someone really wants something and it's free, they're definitely going to use it. Then it's about pricing. So then you've got to have a pricing strategy to put in place. You know, well, at what point would you pay for it? But I think ultimately, you know, uh, if, if a company is even earlier stage than that, if somebody's even earlier stage and doesn't even, even have a product yet but has a vague idea for a business, I think targeting has got to be, you know, uh, basic step one because I don't think you've got a business until you've got a market. So the process I would take them through is, you know, who do you think it is? Let's test it. Let's speak to 20 and find out. I don't think there's any better way. I think otherwise it's just speculation and it's a bit of a hope and a prayer. Um, for a mature business, 
I think at that point, you've got some data to play with. Who are your customers? Who are your biggest customers? Who are your smallest customers? Who, What kind of customer do you want more of? So I think from a targeting perspective, for me, I find targeting the easiest thing, funnily enough. The, the hardest things I find for clients really is around uh, what do we talk to them about and how do we talk to them? You know, how yeah. do we, what's the conversation and how do we initiate it or how do we join it? But nine times out of 10, uh, the target market for me anyway seems to be uh, a mix of data and intuition between myself and the business. They they generally have a good sense of uh, who they want to serve. It's very rare that I come across someone uh, who has a business and doesn't have a sense of who the market is. Now, finding that market, if you know who the market is, finding it, well, that's that's the trick of great marketing, isn't it? You know, and there's a few structures and processes around how we're going to find them, what platforms are they on, what are they interested in, what do they want to talk about, who are their influencers, how can we engage their influencers. Then you've got this whole ecosystem of finding them and then playing out the messaging to them. But I think for me, uh, I think, uh, yeah, that's a question I haven't been asked. And I think I haven't been asked it because it's not it's not something that I've ever had uh, a particular um, issue with. I think thinking about targeting is the least of the worries of most of the clients I have, which is yeah. maybe odd, but, you know, that's the reality. Oh, no, I, I totally get that. It's one of the reasons why I did ask you was because uh, I'm like, this guy probably knows what the answer to this is, and I know uh, I have my way of doing it, but I'd be curious to what his way of doing it. because you wouldn't. So get what's your way? Of, yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm curious. My way is kind of uh, a little bit, it, it starts off speculation and then goes into testing. Yeah, so, so not dissimilar, actually. Not dissimilar. The only difference is what I tend to do is um, I first learned this from Frank Kern and then adapted mm. it to my own method, which was I pretty much go through my story and go, okay, so why? what was the thing that really messed me up or what was the big defeat in my brain that I needed to um, overcome in order to... Uh, I need to overcome in order to actually become who I am. And then I need to go through, okay, how did I become victorious? Like, what was the point that I knew I was victorious? I'd never have this problem again. Like, for instance, the first time I made 30 grand in a year. Yeah. Like, because prior to that, my biggest monthly income, I think, was like 10 grand. I made 10 grand a year. And then in business within like a year and a half, I made 30,000 pounds. Which, you know, when you're 19 years old, is kind of a huge step up. Yeah, because like well, most people are nineteen, you barely are making like ten to yeah. twelve grand a year. Like if you're Absolutely. lucky. But I was doing thirty, running my own shit. So I was like, that's cool. At the time, I didn't think about it because at the time I was like, oh shit, you know, so and so is doing a million, so I need to do a million. When in reality, I should have really just stopped and gone, dude, you just did thirty. That's like instantly you're like ten yeah. years ahead of literally everyone in your age bracket. <laughs> um, so you know, chill, it'll come. Um, some advice I'd give to younger people listening to the show is always congratulate where you are because, you know, you'll always make progress. Yeah, but absolutely. Like, it was that moment that I realized I can never go below 25. So I knew I'd arrived at a level above 25. Right. Um, and at that, at that moment, I, I had the perspective of like, okay, what was my defeat? Well, uh, my girlfriend left me at the time. I The, the woman I loved, basically, uh, my first love, she left me. I had a terrible time, went through all this stuff. I've gone through like multiple suicide attempts. I've started my business. My mentor basically screwed me over. 
uh, I had all this stuff go on. And then also ultimately it's like, what's the arrival point? I started writing copy and then I got really, really good at copy and then I made my clients money. Okay, I can teach this. Nice. And it's kind of like that was the arrival process. So once I've understood what my story is, I do the exact same thing for my, for my audience to go, okay, someone reading this, what's their biggest problem? Yeah. They don't, they, they've got a business, but they have no idea how to scale it. I mean, it's the whole idea of like how I came up with the idea of story selling blueprint uh, to really expand it after joining said mastermind um, was kind of, and you, do you remember like uh, when we were doing my hot seat session with Matt as well, where he was yeah. asking me, what are your three things? Um, yeah. I took that exact same formula and just basically put it into what do people that don't, what, what is People that don't make six figures a year, what do they not know? They don't know their fucking story, and they don't know how to yeah. put it out there. Okay, Absolutely. I know how to do this because I do this with people all the time. Have I done it for myself? Yeah. No, I'm doing that now. But I'm so I've done it for so many people <laughs> that it's second nature and quote unquote boring to me yeah. to do this. So there's my little golden goose. So that's where yeah. I start off with. I go, that's the problem. That they're, they're kept quiet. They don't know how to tell the story. They don't know go out of hundred. They don't know how to get to a hundred grand or more. And they're literally screwing themselves over because they don't know their shit. Okay. They already know how to make six figures. Everyone knows how to make six figures. Everyone knows how to run businesses, you know, get a grow, <laughs> get a hungry audience, find out what they want, give it to them, rinse and repeat and keep some money. Don't burn out. It's mm. a little bit more. There's a few more steps in this, but like, this is kind of the idea. You have that idea, but the thing that's missing is you don't have the process of understanding the story. So that's where I kind of come up with it. I'm using myself here as an example. But even if it was for someone else, I'd write down, okay, what was that greatest defeat? The greatest defeat was, say it was with coaches, uh, they got divorced. Their right. life was falling apart and they were fat and they were unhealthy as all hell. And they hated literally everything about themselves. Like their physical body represented a self-hatred. And what I mean by that is... Um, they were ill, they were sick, they were doing things that weren't very healthy for them, they weren't meditating, they weren't doing anything that would basically bring them happiness. Wow. And they were abusing, let's just say they were really abusing drugs and alcohol and food and everything they could just to make themselves feel better. So basically, yeah. down and out person, this is where the defeat was. That's where they were. Their victory was basically figuring out they could actually, they were healed by someone, someone helped them. So they stopped smoking, they started looking, they started eating right, they started thinking right. They started, um, they started to enjoy it. I mean, yeah, they still drank, maybe they still smoked, but they did it from a place that was consciously a place where it was like, I choose to do this. I'm not doing this in reaction. I'm doing this by choice, mm -hmm. which gives you a whole different dynamic of power, as you, as you know. Um, and that's where they, so that, that's why I'd start off with and go, okay, that's my target audience is there's someone that's driven, they're a coach, they want to help other people attain the same results of having a great mindset and a really good life. And that's their life of what they want, but they don't know how to communicate to the audience. Okay. What yeah. processes did they go through to get from, uh, hating myself and not, and, you know, really unhealthy to emotionally unhealthy to emotionally healthy and loving myself. What were the steps? So I write this stuff down. And then I start creating my marketing around each one of those little base camps they get to. Yeah. So it yeah. could be like, uh, I, I never start off right at the defeat because Larry Wingate has like a whole market on that for himself, uh, which I don't want to go into because the guy's like a legend in that industry. So it's like, I go like mm. three steps above going, 
they're along the way of their self-development journey. They know who they are. They, they, they're either a coach or they, they're about to be a coach. And that's who I want. And now I can basically go help them tell that story to, to the masses. And that's how I come up with like ideas. Amazing. So if I'm doing it for a client, I look through what their target audience has gone through, what they've gone through, find the unity, and then tell that story. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think the extension into the story there is great. I think um, it, it, I, I genuinely think that people like you and people like me, I include myself in that sort of group. That you know, it, this isn't something. I, I don't think you learn how to do this. I think you. For me, I just feel like a very empathic human, and I'm therefore able to um, intuit my way through story. And I think you are too. Absolutely. I, I don't think. I don't think you learn to do this stuff. I think there's an innate ability to be a storyteller and a crafter of story. Um, and I think history shows us that that's always been the case. There's always been people around royal courts who told stories who, you know, the jesters were actually celebrated. And, and, you know, a jester in a royal court had a position of high esteem the jester i don't know if you know this but the jester we see them as a fool but actually the jester played the role of a fool because they had privileges that nobody else at court had the yeah. jester was the only person who could make fun of of the king or queen and live i mean they were the ones who could poke fun at anything and literally call out and roast anything and everything and that's because i think even the royalty understood the power of the story. And uh, if it wasn't them saying it, that was, you know, if a jester wasn't saying something that was obvious, other people, you know, who were more serious might say it. So by, they neutralized the, the story by, by, uh, by uh, in, uh, enabling its telling. Yeah. By enabling its telling, they, they neutralized it. And I think we now live in a world of opposite that, of, uh, you know, opposite to that where, we engage the story, um, but we don't need to play the role of a fool because actually we don't live in a quite the same kind of feudal monarchy where, you know, some people are more important than others. We still live in a very unequal universe, but I don't think it's quite the same. So now storytelling takes on more of a role of um, connection rather than disconnection. I think back then storytelling... And I think that speaks even into the written word as well. If you look at the origins of writing again, you know, in scriptoria where monks were illuminating Bibles for the rich, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, that was for the privileged few. Uh, the reality is the same thing is true with storytelling. It was for the privileged few. Uh, only the rich went to the playhouse. Uh, only the rich uh, commissioned uh, fantastic classical musicians to create and perform music i think storytelling has become liberated and emancipated and everyone's a storyteller now and and it, it's a skill set that's growing some people are better at it and need help from people like you and i and other people are born naturals and other people will never be great storytellers it's just not in them even though they have a great story and that's where i think they get they outsource the telling the crafting to people like us yeah exactly it's it's a case of like how do I put this? It's a case of the jesters actually did help. Uh, and just go back to this. The jesters held the highest rank because they were protected from everyone um, yeah. and everything. In fact, if I remember correctly, in some courts, it was illegal to harm them. Like if you yeah. killed a jester, a jester oh, yeah. it was your head on the plate. 
Oh, it was um, a high crime. Absolutely. It was, uh, they, they were, I mean, now we have parliamentary privilege, right? So if you say something in parliament, even if it's libelous, you can't be sued. You know, you can say anything in parliament and pretty much get away with it, I believe, because I of parliamentary privilege. Yeah, so parliamentary privilege. So, for example, if there's a super injunction against someone and an MP, uh, and an MP breaks the super injunction in parliament, nothing you can do about it. Nothing. Zero. And that happened. I mean, that happened, I think, with, uh, it was with Sir Philip Green when, uh, what was the Labour cab uh, ex-cabinet minister, um, he was a South African guy originally, I think. Which and, era of time? Uh, no, recently, recently, like in the last few years. And he, um, he broke the super injunction by talking about it in parliament. That's the role of the jester. The jester's role is basically to say, you know, uh, F you to the, to, the, to the restriction of information. I'm going to say whatever I want. I mean, what an amazing – imagine being a jester in the court of Elizabeth I. I mean, that, must have, that, that person was the freest human alive at that moment in time, in many, well, in the Western world perhaps, yeah. um, because they could say whatever they like. You know, if you, if you were a peasant on feudal land, you couldn't say whatever you liked. You'd get killed for it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, amazing. That interplay between storytelling and truth and, yeah. you know, and, and even justice. And honestly, I was going to say stories really do shape the world. It's Absolutely. It's like that old adage that people say, it's like, to whom the victory goes is the one that tells the story. Yeah, that's absolutely. How, history is written by the victor, not by the victim. Absol absolutely, absolutely. There, there's so many uh, cases of that we can already see, like, um, even our recent histories, and not to bash on anyone about this, but realistically, let's look at it. It's kind of the sense of, like, say the US, they've rewritten so much of their history um, in a way that basically paints them in positive light. Whereas at the same time, well, if you really look at it from the perspective of like, hey, so the U.S. hasn't done a lot of great things at times. And yeah, then, well, listen, yeah. it's, it's the story, like you said, is owned by the victor. And it goes even deeper than that because the very word history itself comes from the ancient Greek, which means, you know, from a learned, from a learned person, generally of, a, of, of male gender. So from a, from a wise man. Um, and, and that then transmogrified into, you know, uh, what we just call history now. So history itself, the word itself was crafted by back then the dominant gender because it was wise man. And, you know, I wonder, uh, I wonder, um, you know, I wonder what uh, learned wise woman <laughs> in ancient Greek would be. It wouldn't be her story, but no, it would be That's what we some... call it now, apparently. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, you know, because there's a, a rebalancing, and rightly so. Um, and uh, I'm not very good on ancient Greek. There's some things I know. But I wonder what, um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, quickly look it up on Google and see if we can <laughs> in, in ancient Greek. Yeah, oh, damn, absolutely. I, I, need, I need my own Jamie. I really do. It's like, young Jamie, look it up. That's all I really like. If I ever end up on Rogan's show, that is like the first thing I want to say. Just be yeah, like, you need, yeah, don't you need even... a, Google, a Google monkey. Someone just sat there Googling all day, just telling you stuff in your ear, presumably. I have him in the studio. I, I wouldn't want to have him somewhere else. I'm like, no, he's in the studio with me. It's all good. <laughs> um, but no, what I was going to say was one of the cool things that you were talking about with story particularly, I do want to touch upon this a little bit more because it's kind of like my bread and butter, really. It's this idea that people have that stories should be difficult to tell. And... And, or or even more so, like stories, their story doesn't hold up. 
The truth mm. is your story is your story because it happened to you. It may have happened to a million other people on the planet, but most importantly, it happened to you. And people need yeah. to understand that. Like one of the coolest uh, pieces of advice I ever picked up from anyone was understanding that um, at the time I was teaching, I had, a, I had an SEO course and the person who taught me how to do SEO also had an SEO course. And uh, they were like, okay, uh, I was like, I feel really uncomfortable teaching this information. And he was like, why? I was like, because I didn't come up with it. I'm like, and do you think he did? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, then you're naive. I was like, how so? He goes, because all pieces of content are pretty much regurgitated, recreated, or reusable over time. It's re like nothing that is learned today is new. I was like, that no, is so there's, true. there's very little. I mean, I, I never feel, that's what I was saying about that Brené Brown stuff earlier. I think, I think there's very little genuinely creative thought because so much has been thought and then it's recycled and repositioned and recontextualized. And I think that actually, you know, I say this to my clients a lot. We're all editors. We're all curating the world for our clients, for our team, for our families, for whatever, you know, uh, for our social graph, we're all curating and we're all editors. And I think that's where, and I remember saying this in 98, the value of the editor will go up in an age of, uh, you know, in an age of, um, you know, information overload, where information is ubiquitous, the value of the editor increases. So whilst, you know, being original and, and you know, you know, we often call, we often judge originality by virality because generally stuff that's amazing and original will go viral because it's original by definition. You know, Seth Godin and the purple cow, we've never seen a purple cow before. Well, we're going to share that. It's going to go viral. But I think, when you track it back to um, that notion around creativity and editing, uh, even if you're not the originator of something, if you're the person that's contextualizing it for an audience, I think that's super powerful. And, and I think the last 20 years have shown us. And in fact, the paper I wrote for my master's dissertation was, uh, you know, smug, you know, uh, humble brag, though it may be, was all about that. It was about how in an age of... Um, you know, ubiquity, how do publishers generate revenue? Because prior to 90, to the 90s and Tim Berners-Lee, information wasn't ubiquitous. Actually, information was the opposite of ubiquitous. It's and publishers, nice. yeah, it was totally guarded and locked away and packaged and sold on the basis of its rarity. So now we lived in an era of, you know, total ubiquity. How do you, how do you monitor, as a publisher, how do you generate revenue out of content? Well, it's about context. It's about providing at the right time, in the right place, in the right way. And, of course, we live in a world governed by search, which does exactly that. And that's why Google, technically, is probably, arguably, the biggest publisher on the planet. Yep. Because they publish a database product. That's the Google search. And they pub and it's advertising-led. I mean, it's, it's literally, it's not reinventing the wheel. It's just taking it forward into a newer age where context was everything. And, and voice, you know, hey, Google tell me the answer to this question. That's just another extension into voice of contextually giving me the information I want. So that, that lack of crea original creativity doesn't really matter, but Google win because they're a fantastic editor of the world. Agreed. Like one of the books I'm currently reading right now and finishing is Steal Like an Artist um, from mm -hmm. Austin. Uh, I can't even say his surname. I think it's Cleon 
It's K-L-E-O-N, and I'm saying it wrong probably. But Austin's book, if you haven't read it, pick it up. It's a very short read. It's only 140 pages. Um, this is like one of the coolest books I've ever read that gives me that validates a lot of the ideas that I have about like how to use swipe files, for instance, to write copy. Mm. You're not stealing the work entirely. You're taking creative um, inspiration from it and creating your own. And that's the big thing is creating from your own. Um, yeah. You know, let your own unique voice shine through it. It's, it's what we yeah. do. Now, Al, as we're coming up to one of my favorite parts of the show, and again, something I definitely want to do is get you back on here because I don't think we've even like touched upon many things. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to ask you one question before I ask this because it kind of okay. goes back to brand and strategy. When you're developing your brand and putting yourself out there, what would you say is the what are the, what is the biggest mistake you see people with a digital brand? Like, what is the biggest thing they do that pisses you off? Like when you walk oh, in, you just see it and you're so like, many. "You fucker, yeah. right there, I got you." <laughs> There's so many, uh, but I think the top two or three, uh, building a brand from the top down. Yeah, I've got a great domain name. Now let's like build an architecture underneath it. It's a terrible way to build a brand. Um, number one, number two. Uh, where there's an absolute lack of human connection and emotion. Uh, it's a crime. It's an absolute crime because people buy from people. Why wouldn't you put people at the center of what you're talking about and doing? Um, and I think the third thing that I see uh, is just laziness, just plain, well, we don't need to try that hard. You know, let's just, let's just use blue and gray because we're a corporate brand. Let's use blue and gray and – you know, let's talk about saving people time and money. You know, it's really boring and lazy. And and to be honest, you know, I talk about this a lot. Um, you know, Adil, do you know how to outrun a lion? Uh, you just got to be quicker than the guy behind you. That's right. And the same is true in business when it comes to brand, when it comes to anything in business. You don't have to be Steve Jobs and build a brand like Apple. Just be marginally better than the other brands or most of the other brands in your space and you will win more business. It takes such a small amount of effort to go from lazy to wow, in my view. It really doesn't take a lot of work. And that's about being heartfelt and tapping into what matters, why you've done it, why it matters, why people will care. And if you can just infuse your brand with that, actually the difference is, is incredible in a very short period of time. So I find that laziness just really depressing. Like I just think it's really suboptimal and it's such a shame. So those are the three I would say. That's pretty awesome <laughs> because one of my favorite uh, card magicians, well, he's a card mechanic, Richard Turner, who's also blind, blind by the way, if you haven't seen him or any of his work, Please go ahead and just Google him. You will be mesmerized as how good this guy is. Um, and his story is brilliant. He's he's a blind card mechanic, and he basically wow. was hired by uh, he gets hired by Vegas and a few other places wow. where, to spot who's trying to cheat and count cards and stuff like that. Wow! And uh, and you know just a few other things, and he's just amazing. He's fucking amazing. One thing he says, he goes, there are only two, he goes, people think being blind is a disability and goes, I'll take yeah. blindness over the two things I consider the biggest disabilities of all time. And that is laziness and procrastination. Yeah. Because if, if you've got those two things, um, then I'm yeah. sorry, those are your disabilities. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a, yeah, I was saying this to someone the other day, you know, I saw recently that the odds it takes for, for you to exist at the moment of birth, it's something like four trillion to one. 
Because first of all, you're the sperm that made it, right? Out of the millions of sperm, right? So just by the very fact you've been born and exist, it's four trillion to one. What a terrible waste if you don't absolutely try and race for optimal life after that. In whatever optimal life is to you, because you're starting, it's relative, right? Yep. But if you're not on that journey, improving, getting better, trying to move yourself forward, what an incredible waste. I just, it's, it's a crying shame. And, and that's not a judgment statement. That's a, a fully accepting point of view around the fact we all start in a different place with different skill sets. But it's not, it's, not wh- it's not where you end up for me. It's how far you've come. Yeah, it's not where it's you how, start. It's, a, it's where you, how abs- far you push. Absolutely. So I don't care about your position in relation to anyone else's. I just care about how far you've come. Because that, to me, tells me so much about you. Um, and, I, and, you know, some people on this planet are not as privileged as us. We live in a very safe place. There are people born into extremely difficult lives, and they come so far, way much further than us, relatively speaking. So it's a terrible waste when, you know, when I think uh, we have so much to play for and people just kind of cruise. Um, and, and um, again, it's their journey, whatever. I can't force them. But yeah. and I'm here. I, I love helping people grow. That's my why. I'm here to help people grow. That's what. That's why I exist on this planet in this universe to help people grow. For me, so that really, uh, as uh, as Peter Griffin would say, that really grinds my gears. <laughs> that's interesting because I again very similar thought process to you on that <laughs> one. Now, real quickly though, before we actually like wrap up for the day, I do want to sure. actually go ahead and ask you like there's um, one of my favorite questions to ask, and we're going to do it. Uh, interestingly, because I know you're a movie, you do love movies as much as I do, and you're a huge nerd, which is brilliant. But if you had to like pick it down to like six books that have impacted your life, and there is a caveat to this, three of those books have to be fictional or movies that have impacted your life. So it's three books, it can be up to six books or three books and three movies. What impacted your life? What would they be? Wow. Uh, I think, I think, uh, Lord of the Flies, I think, which was a film and a book, uh, just was the first time I grew up a bit. I think it was one of those things that just for the first time I realized that maybe the world isn't all donuts and roses. You know, I think 1984, and I'm going to say 1984 slash uh, Brave New World because I think they're a duo. One is yeah, the, the uh, one after dystopia, the other. yeah, dystopia versus utopia, and I think that was my political theory brain opening. Um, I think, oh man, so um, I think um, the Crito by um, uh, um, I've forgotten who read the Crito. Shocking. Um, uh, uh, I think it was uh, uh, Plato because I think it was one of the works of Socrates Um, uh, yeah it's Plato definitely Crito is amazing because it talks about uh, it talks about Socrates' fall in society after he's judged uh, to have corrupted the youth and he is sentenced to death uh, and Crito uh, a a wealthy uh, a wealthy um, uh, you know, follower tries to spring him from jail, and and Socrates says, "No, no, I signed up to society for good and for bad. I'm going to take the hemlock, and that's how it is." And there is this commitment as a human being to a bigger picture. Um, so that's three. Wow. 
Contact, Carl Sagan, amazing book, amazing film with Jodie Foster, uh, really about our smallness and our place, I think, in a wider universe. Um, Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke, similar. Uh, really, really focusing on both the convergence of the bigger picture and our place in the universe and how, you know, we are but children, really. Um, and I think the last would be a recent film that, frankly, uh, just, um, if I had to pick one film, it would be the one I'd watch over and over and over and over again. And that's Interstellar. Yeah. Um, Interstellar, for me, answered so many questions, uh, you know, about quantum existence and time travel. And for me, you know, it answered beautifully the, both the meaning of life and what transcends us and what transcends time. And what transcends us in time is love. Love echoes. My parents are gone. It's their, actually today, it's their 20, it's their wedding anniversary, and neither of them are here anymore. And I realize that I still feel their love. And in a different quantum existence, reality slash dimension, whatever, they exist. And they still feel love for me, and I can feel that. So those are my six. I hope that was That's a good answer. Oh, it was for sure. Like, that was fun to answer, man. That was fun to answer. Sure. I was going to say real quick before we uh, we wrap up for the show today, is there anything that you just want to finally just tell everyone? Um, what last piece of advice would you give them before we say goodbye? Oh, the last piece of advice would be uh, a quote uh, from Maya Angelou, um, an amazing African-American poetess, an incredible human. You have to look at her life and her story. Yeah. to understand the gravity of this quote. Um, people won't talk about, at your funeral, people won't talk about what you said and they won't talk about what you did. They will talk about how you made them feel. Yep. I remember that quote. It's one of my favorites. It's, it's just, so yeah, powerful. It's, na it's nailed on. If there's a meaning of life, man, that's pretty much it. And I'll tell you the meaning of life last before we go. Because it's my mum and dad's anniversary, so I remember them fondly. And my my dad's the final words he said to me when I said to him, "What are the meaning of what's the meaning of life?" So, in honour of you, Dad, uh, I'll tell everyone who's listening to this podcast his his answer to the meaning of life two weeks before he passed away was live the life you've got. And that doesn't mean settle and be happy. It means be present, look around, be grateful. Now move forwards, but don't start from a position of not being grateful of not being present because you'll never escape. The only way forwards is through gratitude and presence. So that's what I meditate on every day. Could not agree more with that. And that is fucking beautiful as a way of ending on such a high note guys. And thank you again, Al for sharing that it is your parents uh, anniversary today on <laughs> August 22nd, 2019, yeah. which is brilliant. Um, guys go check out Al, uh, Al's website, which is tep dot com follow him follow him on all social media channels you can find him that's a l t e p p e r um he's absolutely a brilliant person just absolutely one of the most lovely Thank people you, you can actually meet and again dude, I'm, I'm having you back on the show again just just a heads <laughs> up that, that's happening be my um, pleasure I, lo I love this chat it's been amazing guys check him out and i know this is an unfinished uh show because we've got like the part two when we record that in future but for now please go check it out apply what you can if you have any questions reach out to him he's very easy to talk to um Amazing. al thanks again for being here my friend thank you so much i'm so uh, so grateful thank you man. i'll see you guys on next week's episode take care and peace out guys